You are listening to The Forecast with Jason Harris, where we talk about four key principles to a productive life. Power, passion, purpose, production. Stick around and see what today's show has in store. Well, hello, and thank you for joining me for another episode of The Forecast with Jason Harris. I am excited to have you with us today, and I am excited to talk about what we're going to talk about. Uh, There is nothing that gives me greater joy in this world. Well, actually, there's probably a couple things that give me greater joys, but this is definitely in my top five, uh, is just talking about men and manhood. And um, so we're going to kind of dig into some things today. Um, I, I think you've probably, if you've listened to my podcast before, maybe seen that this is interwoven into the DNA of what we do. And um, we make no apologies for that. Um, I I really feel like my call in life is to serve the Lord Jesus with all of my heart and all of my mind, love my wife, take care of my family and teach and equip men. Uh, And um, so that is something that's kind of been that that's carried through in all of my time in life and all my time in ministry. Um, And it's kind of ironic because I didn't really start out as understanding what a man is or what a man is supposed to be. And, um, God does what God did, what God does really, really well, which is takes the unqualified and, um, kind of gives them wisdom and walks them through experiences to be able to teach them some things. And so that is what the Lord has done in my life. And I'm very thankful, uh, that, um, I, I had that example. I am going to tell you a little bit about my story of masculinity, but but we're going to kind of dig into some things before we get there. So I've I've kind of broken this down into uh, seven things that are toxic about masculinity. And let me just be be careful because guys they hear toxic masculinity and they go manhood is not toxic. Manhood by nature is absolutely positively not toxic. As a matter of fact, manhood by nature is to be celebrated and it is to be embraced and it is to be, I, like, I love the fact that I'm a man. I don't want to be anything other than a man. I'm, I'm, I think I'm a good man. I've definitely got some room to grow, but at the same time, I am thankful to be a man. But part of being a man is recognizing some elements of things that might have been societally acceptable that are called and kind of hitched their wagon onto masculinity that are not actually masculine. Okay. So that's where the concept in my mind comes into toxic masculinity. Okay. Those things that maybe might be assumed or might be a part of our culture or might have been a part of previous parts of our culture that have been assumed as a part of a man that I want to make really, really clear first off that are not what a good man of God should be doing. Okay. And, and so, and I just want to say, before I get started on this list, man, we've got to be really, really careful, men, to be able to audit ourselves. We have to hold ourselves to a standard and that standard has to be a high standard. I feel like we're at a time in our nation and a time in our society where the bar for manhood is ridiculously low. It is, it's almost abysmally low. And our society is being harmed because of it. I really feel that it's necessary for the backbone of a culture and of a country to be filled with strong men. And a lot of the messages that we get, whether it be from the media or whether it be from just a a barrage of places, 
is the emasculated man that to, to not be a man. Okay. And what we've got to be careful to do is to be able to point out what is toxic about being hitched on to masculinity instead of letting the world at large define that because the world has made it really clear. They would rather emasculate you and make you ineffective and render you a, a, a imp that would do whatever they desire for you to do. They want to set the trajectory of your life. So if we let the world and the culture define what toxic masculinity is, then they're going to be throwing things that are good things about masculinity out at the same time. So I hope you guys follow where I'm saying it's important for the men of God to stand up and be able to say, these are some things that are not consistent with being a man of God. And so that's kind of what I'm going to dig into in this first part of the podcast, kind of just get into that. So when I think of the word toxic masculinity or those words together, I think of the fact that this is a real concept and that I, as a man of God, have the the call on my life to be able to define what those things about masculinity are that would be very damaging to men being men. All right. And I would say the first thing is men that take. Okay. They don't give anything. They're just takers. They're a big black hole. Now, I want to be really careful with this one because we're not going black and white here. Okay. You're going to take as a man. There are many men that come up to me on a regular basis and they take some of my time or they take some of my wisdom or they come to me and they take some prayer. They ask for some prayer. It's not bad to take, but if your set point is to look to somebody else to do something for you and not look at yourself, you have to learn to be your own advocate. You have to be able to, to, to be able to do some things for yourself. Okay. So you have to be able to understand that I don't want to be a black hole of an individual that does nothing but take. I'm sucking the joy out of my family. I'm sucking the joy out of my wife and my kids. I'm just, all I'm doing is just taking from them. I'm just doing withdrawals from that account. I'm never depositing anything. I'm never giving anything to them. I am not giving enough. All I'm doing is using them as some role to kind of like serve my internal hurt or harm and make me feel better. That's not what a man is. A man is a giver. Okay, we look at the ultimate man, Jesus Christ. What did he do? He came, he taught, he led, he rose up men to continue on the mission, and then he dies. We know he doesn't stay dead. We know he is resurrected from the grave, but but he he gives. He gives everything he can give. And so the epitome of manhood is for you to be far more of a giver than of a taker. You're going to take. I understand that. And you should. And you should understand the moments which you should take. But at the same time, you have to be committed to giving 10 times more than you get than you take. I hope that makes sense to you. A element of masculinity that is toxic. Listen to me. I just want to be really clear about number two, men that abuse. And of course, physical abuse. Like this is the, this is the, the obvious, right? You don't beat up your wife. You don't beat up your family. All right. And, and if you're struggling in this area, I just want to be really clear with you. You're struggling on how to be a real man because real men don't do that. And 
I, I want to have empathy and understanding for you, but the empathy and understanding stops at the point in which you refuse to go get help because you need to go get help. So if you are thinking or you're dealing with physical abuse of your family, you are dropping the ball 100% as far as being a man. But I hope you guys understand that abuse goes a little bit further than just giving your wife a black eye or punching a hole in the wall. All right. It goes deeper. It goes into emotional abuse, right? So if you are not meeting what your wife's emotional needs are, and I, I, I'm not trying to like get super psychological here. You guys know I am not a psychologist. You guys know that I am just a normal dude. So I'm going to give this to you in the best way that I possibly can and break it down. Listen, what's important to your wife has to be important to you. Okay. There are some things that she wants to communicate about and you have to make sure that you're have an ear, an open ear. It doesn't mean that you have to be into everything that she's into. I, I believe very strongly in marital couples kind of having their own hobbies. As long as those hobbies don't become idols and steal away from relationship time and the importance of time. I think that, that, that married couples have to have separate interest at times. They also have collective, they also have to have collective interest. That has to be the number one priority. But if your wife is coming to you about something that's hurting her emotionally for you to neglect her in that moment is emotional abuse because essentially what you're saying to her is what you feel like doesn't matter what you feel like it doesn't matter to me I don't care go on with your life deal with it it's your problem you might not say that with your mouth but you're saying that with your actions so if she's being frustrated by something at her work or something while she's at home with the children or a relationship with another woman then it is your job to give a listening ear and give wise counsel. That doesn't mean that you're supposed to fix your wife. I know as men, sometimes we struggle with this because we're fixers. If the door's broke, we pick up the tools and we go fix the door. Your wife doesn't per se need to be fixed as much as she needs to be led to Jesus. Not that she's not a Christian and she's not at Jesus, but just a simple reminder from the man of the house who loves the Lord and loves her to take these things to Jesus. Give her wise counsel. Sit down and read scripture with her. Pray over her. I have encouraged you guys, I think on every podcast so far, to pray with your wife. It is so fundamentally important. It's what me and my wife do every single day. Every single day that she leaves this house, in the morning when she leaves for work, I lay my hands on her and I pray God's goodness over her. And she turns around and does the same thing over me. And it's a powerful thing. This is what God designed for us to be. But we disrupt that when we emotionally abuse our wives by neglecting them. So A, obviously, don't physically harm your family. That's a no-brainer in my mind. Two, make sure you're not emotionally neglecting them either. Number three, men that use. All right? Men that use. I... um. I think I shared a little bit of this when I broke down my past and how I viewed women uh, prior to giving my life to Jesus. Women were something that were going to that, that was there to appease a need for me, and that was it. All right, they were something to be used for my purposes and my pleasure, and discarded. My view of women was so incredibly toxic. When I was 17, 18 years old, that I I look back, I'm not embarrassed, but I regret it 
I regret the fact that I had such a negative view toward women as if their whole purpose was to appease me at that age sexually. And I look back on that and I, I I say, man, God has really done a tremendous work because that is not the way that I look at women now. Um, not in any way, shape or form. I try to value women as fellow image bearers of God and look at them that way, but men that use. So if you are using women in your life, you frankly, I'm just going to be straightforward with you. You need to grow up. All right. That's what a boy does. Okay. A boy acts like an idiot with women that they're only there to appease him and please him with whatever he desires or needs to have. And he'll lie and he'll manipulate and he'll, he'll, you know, play them and kind of, you know, maybe speak about something deeper of the relationship when he's just trying to get in their pants. Listen, that's boyhood. It's, it's stupid and you need to grow up. And if that's where you're at in life, I don't care if you're 16 years old or if you're 60 years old, because here's the thing, guys, I've learned that there can be 60 year old boys. Okay. Men that have just refused to grow up and continue to sow their wild oats and just wrecked and destroyed women and relationships all throughout their lives. And they make no apologies for it. And as far as I'm concerned, you're just the same as a hormonal 16 year old boy that can't control himself. You need to grow up. You are not there to use women. You are not there to use people. You're not there to step on people at work. You're not there to abuse workers and coworkers. And and you're not there for that. You're there to display the goodness of God at your work. And you don't do that by using people to climb the ladder of success. So it goes into relationships, but it also goes into your career. Are you a user? Are you a person that uses or are you a person that does the opposite and care for? Try to nurture people. Try to nurture the goodness out of people. Is that who you are as an individual? If it is, dude, I'm proud of you. You're a real man. But if you're a user, I would encourage you to repent. Come before the Lord Jesus and say, I have messed up and this is how I've learned to be and I need to unlearn it. Jesus, will you show me how to do things differently? Number four, men that intimidate their way through life. Let me give you a caveat here, okay? There's a big difference between intimidating people and standing up for what you believe, okay? There have been times in my life where because I was a power lifter early on in life, I was as wide as most door frames. Shoulders were huge, biceps were huge, I was big. Now I just do a lot of cardio, (laughs) My joints feel it in my 40s. But, uh, you know, but the reality is that running around trying to be physically intimidating to get your way is stupid. It's immature, it's childish, and it's toxic. And frankly, it, it reeks of insecurity. That you literally cannot interpersonally negotiate with people To come to a place where both they win and you win, which is what should be your goal anytime you're in an interpersonal relationship or conflict with someone, it should be, how how do I get this person to win and me me to win? But instead, you default to, I'm going to intimidate you, stick out my chest, and act like I'm big and bad. That is not what a man of God does. That is not how a man of God conducts himself. 
Jesus Christ was the most powerful thing that this world has ever seen. He even said to his disciples, did you not know I could call in a legion of angels? He had strength that we can't even imagine. He had the ability and the capability of doing things that we could not even imagine. And yet he withdrew and, and, and did not use that. Okay. And I'm all for guys getting strong. I told you that. I've told you that in a previous podcast. Guys, get strong. Lift heavy weights. Be in good physical shape. Lose abdominal fat. I've said all those things, guys. But you don't do those things so that you can push people around. That's not what you do. Some of the strongest people, I've been blessed to be around uh, strongman competition people that have that have worked in that arena. And man, I'll tell you what, the strongest dudes you're ever going to meet in your life are actually some of the most humble. There's sometimes some of the guys that conduct themselves with the most grace because they understand that they are incredibly strong. They don't try to crush your hand when they're shaking your hand. Now they don't shake your hand like a dead fish either. You know they're strong, but they're not trying to intimidate you and push yourself away. When you do that, that's a man that's dealing with insecurities. That's a man that has to prove something. Listen to me. There's a, there's a point in manhood where you understand you don't have to prove anything to anybody. You just be you. When you walk out in the confidence that God loves you, and if you've been blessed with a wife that loves you and kids that love you, dude, what more do you need? You need the affirmation of other people? No. Other people are fickle. They're going to they're gonna approve of you when you do what they want and disapprove of you when you don't. So I wouldn't put too much into them. Just you and God, man. And when you look at it that way, you understand you're accountable to God. And God doesn't intimidate people and he doesn't push his way into people's lives. He's a gentleman. So you should be a gentleman as well. Number five, men that don't assume responsibility. This is where somebody's getting mad. I, 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 I wish I could apologize. I won't. Some of you are young and you have become fathers and either you're married to the child's mother or you're not with her and you are an absent dad. Your child needs something from you and you're not there and you might have the excuse. Oh, well, she doesn't, we have a horrible relationship and she doesn't love me and she doesn't listen, man. A man, a man is evaluated on how he executes on what he produces, not how many excuses he comes up with. And so I would encourage you assume responsibility. I'm going to go back to Jesus. He's the best man I know. And so I have to go to his example. Jesus not only works as a carpenter for 30 years of his life, works a real man job, gets his hands dirty. Okay. So he assumes responsibility for himself. He assumes responsibility for these wacky goofball disciples that seem like they're, they're sometimes making the mark and sometimes missing the mark. So he's, he's assuming responsibility for them. And then at the end of his life, as he's on the cross, he assumes responsibility for his mother being taken care of. Even to the point of death, he's assuming responsibility for other people. If you want to be like Jesus, you'll assume responsibility. Oh no, that's my wife's problem. That's my kid's problem. 
That's my coworker's problem. Sucks to be them. These are things that men do not say. A man is very much like a pickup truck. If you put weight in the back of a pickup truck, it goes down the road pretty straight. It's when there's no weight in the back of the pickup truck that it can get a little wonky when he hits the accelerator. And that weight is the weight of responsibility. And men, you should not be looking for ways to get out of that responsibility. You should be looking for ways to take on more. Oh, Jason, I don't know if I can take on any more responsibility. I'm up to my limit. Pray for wisdom. There's probably some things you could be doing a little bit differently. There's probably things that you could do to take care of yourself a little bit differently. But you are steadied and go straight down the road by the fact that you have weight in the trunk or in the bed of your vehicle. Don't run from it. Number six, men that are passive in times of war. Whether you recognize this or not, you were born into warfare. And you're like, well, where's the grenades? Where's the hand? What, I got to paint my face? No, listen, spiritual warfare. There are things in this world that desire to steal, kill, and destroy you. There are forces out there. I'm not trying to get all weird, but there are forces out there that are trying to destroy you. And you can act like they're not there and you can ignore them. Some of us even partner with them. But it doesn't mean that they're not out to destroy you and it doesn't mean they're not out to kill you. They are. And I would encourage you, if you're listening to this podcast, to begin to look at your life like it is a spiritual war game. Nobody goes into war without a battle plan. That's what this podcast is, gentlemen, to give you a battle plan, to give you a a map to go forward. To say, listen, this is what I'm going to do. But listen, you don't want to be like your first father, Adam, in the garden when his wife is getting attacked by the devil himself and this dude is not paying attention and not standing up for his wife. You don't want to be that guy. That's a passive man. That's a man that did not show up when war came to his household. You want to be like, Jesus. Paul says Jesus is the second Adam. He's a new Adam, a perfect Adam. So you don't have to live under the curse of your first father, Adam, a passive guy who sat around and just let his wife get attacked and his family get attacked. You can be like Jesus, the second Adam, the one that fixed it, the one that did it right, the one that made the situation perfect again. So, We go to Jesus and we say, how did Jesus go to war? Well, we read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We understand that at times he went to war by flipping tables and whipping people out of the temple. That was a way he went to war. But he also went to war in prayer. And he also went to war by taking authority over demonic forces and kicking them out of his region. He was born into war and he knew that you would be born into war as well. And so I would encourage you to look at your life that way. Not that you got to load up your AR-15 and go paint your face green and black. No. The war that's going on is, is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. It's going against the powers of darkness. 
And the best way, the best way for you to fight that war is with Christ Jesus leading you. He is the general. You're in the army. You look at it that way, you are well equipped. And you stay in that position. You are well equipped to win the war. Number seven, men that don't communicate. This is a little bit more practical. Last one was spiritual. Men that don't communicate. Gentlemen, you have to talk. You have to be able to communicate. You have to be able to express what's going on inside of you. We have a proclivity at times to put it all inside of us. And then we, we say, well, this is just the stuff that's in the, in the trunk. It's just in the, it's in the, the, the truck bed and I'm just dealing with it. Men, you need men. You need men around you to encourage you, to build you, to give you wise counsel, to care for you, to love you, to listen to you, to point you in the right direction, to at times rebuke you and tell you you're doing it wrong. This is what you need. I'm going to go back to uh, my own definitions of masculinity. Um, I grew up with, with two main men in my life, my grandfather and my father. Um, my dad was the victim of abuse as a child. Um, and really honestly carried that with him most of his life. He was a man that was beaten down. He was loved by everyone that ever met him. Anybody that knew Gary would say, that's a great, nice guy, but he was not a great example of masculinity for me. Um, he was more of a joke. And I say that with all respect and all honor toward my father, but I just recognize where his weaknesses were in being a man's man, a man worth following was a weakness for my dad. He was a good communicator. He was a bad emotional stopgap for his son. The other person that was a huge example in my life was my grandfather. If I could tell you, my, my grandfather was John Wayne, Johnny Cash, John Deere. Lifelong farmer, had calluses on his hands. His calluses had calluses, guys. Okay? He was a man that worked his fingers to the bone. He literally started with absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. And grew a, a agricultural, I don't want to say empire, but he ended up owning quite a bit upon his death. And he never owed anybody. This is crazy. Now we, we, when we want to get something, we just go out and we get a loan. He never took a loan from a bank. He always did like cash rent where he would buy the land, but he would work on the land to pay for buying the land. That's how my grandpa did it. He was the ultimate man's man. Drove a motorcycle, hard-nosed, hardworking, silent. Very rarely engaged me in any kind of deep conversation. Anything that I learned from my grandfather, I had to have watched. I saw by example. Never sat down and had those conversations with me about anything, really. He loved me. I knew he loved me because he let me hang around his house all the time, but just wasn't there emotionally. My dad was there emotionally, but he wasn't there as an example. My grandpa was there as an example, but he wasn't there emotionally. 
So I had to learn when I gave my life to Jesus, I had to learn how to pick out the positives and throw away the negatives out of both their lives. And understand that sifting through is one of the most important elements of understanding how to be a man. You have to be able to sift. Not every guy that can give you wisdom is going to be perfect in every area of his life. He might be a mess in one area of his life. But if he's shown himself to be successful in this area, then take some wisdom from him. He probably knows something about it. I don't demean my grandfather or demean my dad. They are actually, I am incredibly blessed to have both of them in my life for the time that I had them in my life. But at the same time, I try to look at them without the emotional bias and just recognize that they weren't perfect, that they were flawed, and I'm going to pull the positives from them and discard the negatives, try to avoid those. So the best of both pulls me away and gives me seven things. And I want to go through these quick because I'm taking a bunch of your time and I don't want to take all day from you. The best of both is understanding the value of hard work. Okay? Guys, especially now, everything's so built around our convenience, so built around making our lives easier. Guys, make sure that you understand that you're supposed to get exhausted. Okay, you're supposed to be exhausted through the day. You were made for your body to get tired. And the reason why some of you can't sleep well is because you don't do anything that actually requires rest when you're done with the day. That's reality. Your body was made to move. So go move your body. Lift heavy things. Do what you have to do. Make sure you're meeting the emotional needs of your family. Make sure that you're engaging in conversation. Sometimes like maybe you're a little bit like me, like I can lift a lot. I can work out at the gym a lot and still have energy, but even doing like a podcast, here's what you don't see. After I'm done with this podcast, I will literally go sit in silence for about 20 minutes and just let everything that came out of me kind of settle. I'm not a good person to be around during that time. That's why I do these podcasts when there's nobody home so that I can get done with it. Go let it all settle, let it kind of come through me, and then I'm able to be beneficial to somebody. But at that point, as soon as I'm done, I'm exhausted. Okay, so you got to know yourself and understand that hard work is part of the equation of being what you're supposed to be. The opposite of a toxic man, a productive man, a man after God's own heart. You are also, number two, supposed to be dedicated. What have you dedicated yourself to? Have you dedicated yourself to your spouse? If you have, you won't be looking at other women. The source of beauty for you will be your wife. Well, she doesn't really take care of herself and she's kind of let herself go and she's kind of, listen, bro, your standard of beauty has to be what she is because the, what you evaluate as beauty is way deeper than skin. And I know, you know, my wife's beautiful. I am thankful that my wife is beautiful. I, I, so outkicked my coverage. <laughs> God had to be involved because <laughs> I am an ugly dude and I married a 10. But after being with her, we will have our 20th anniversary this year. After being married to her for 20 years and with her for 22 years, I, the, the way that she looks is 
important, but it's not what I consider beautiful about her. She has mothered my children very well. She has loved me through my darkest times very well. And it is incredibly beautiful. It's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And so that's why that's what she is. So I'm dedicated to her. I'm dedicated to work. I'm dedicated to making sure that I outwork everybody in our company. Anybody in our business, they don't work as hard as what I do. Why? Because I have to show dedication to those things. When I have a contractor come in and do some work on a a property for us or something like that, I stand there. Why am I standing there? Because he might need something. I don't want him to have to call me. I don't want him to have to run me down. Sometimes I can't stand there. There's a couple times where I've had to leave. But for the most part, I make sure I've carved out time in my day to stand there with the contractor to make sure that I can serve him as he's serving me as he's working for me. Now, I don't have to do that because I'm going to cut him a check at the end of it. But it's just a matter of doing things halfway or full way. And the full way is make sure that you're taking care of the people that are taking care of you. That's being dedicated. Three, being faithful. Faithful not just to a spouse, but faithful to the gospel. Faithful to God. Understand that the the hierarchy of accountability in your life starts with the one who put breath into your lungs. God, you are accountable to the Lord. So many times we talk about stewardship and we talk about our money as being stewardship. Gentlemen, you have to be faithful, a good steward with everything in your life. If you are trusted with a wife, you have to be a good steward of her heart. Don't be irresponsible with it. If you are trusted with children, you have to be a good steward of your relationship with your children because ultimately you're, they're going to outlive you. They're going to go places you're never going to go. And primarily, they're going to be left with the remnants of how you raise them. And it's going to change their worldview. So you have to steward that well. You do have to steward your finances. You do have to steward your money and not just do what you want to do and be led by your emotions in regards to financial purchases. But you have to be a good steward. Stewardship means being faithful. Handling things as they have been given to you. That weight that's in the back of your truck, you have to manage that well. That's your job. Sometimes in the process of driving, things get shifted around. If you let too much weight go on one axle, it's going to break it down. You got to go back there and kind of reevaluate, move some things around. That's called being faithful with what you've been given. Number four, this is one that didn't come to me right away. But you have to be playful. <laughs> How long has it been since you laughed, men? How long has it been since you just cracked up? How long has it been since you were just like, and, and listen guys, I'm not saying walk through your whole life playful, but I'm saying there half, you have, you know, it's okay to crack a smile. It's okay to admit that you're thankful. It's okay to have a good time in life. It's okay to laugh. It's okay to be a little stupid sometimes. That's all kind of a part of being a man. Now, when it gets out of line and all you are is a big joke, that's a problem. That's a very serious problem. But it doesn't mean that you have to be Harry Hardbutt all the time that's running around like a drill sergeant because you're not able to handle any of these things if you get too rigid. All right? So 
Are you able to joke around with your kids? Are you able to joke around with your wife? My wife thinks I have the corniest sense of humor in the entire world. It's probably because I'm pretty sure I have the corniest sense of humor in the entire world. (laughs) But sometimes she laughs at me. (laughs) And I feel like I accomplished something if I made her laugh at me. It's a part of the relationship. Number five, masculine nurturing. Wow, this is crazy. What is masculine nurturing? We don't have a ton of time. I'm not going to do a whole podcast on this, even though I could, but this is important. Understanding that women are nurturers by nature. Men are not per se nurturers by nature. And so, but, but we are still called to nurture. We still have to take care of the future and what goes forward out of us. We also have to keep a mind, especially as fathers, what are we raising and inputting into the world? What are we teaching our children? Going back to that, that first thing that I talked about, men are not abusive, right? You can easily say, well, I don't hit my wife. I just put a hole in the wall and then I fixed the hole. Did your kids see you put the hole in the wall? Are you trying to raise your child to punch walls? Well, at least I didn't punch my wife. Listen, as soon as you say, at least you're negotiating with futility. As soon as you say, at least in any area of your life, you're negotiating. And these are things that shouldn't be negotiated upon. Don't hit walls. Don't blow up screaming, acting like a total maroon in front of your children. If you're going to do it, go to garage. (laughs) Just don't let them see you. There are times where you have to just release. I would encourage you. I go to the gym. My gym's got a, uh, a punching bag. That punching bag is really beneficial. Okay. Like sometimes I just punch the punching bag, hit it with a little one, two combo. Like, dang, man, pretty strong. (laughs) And just get that out. Right. Because I understand that if, if my children were to see me act like that here in this house, I'd be telling them something. And one of the things that I'm telling them by doing that is that it's that you, it's okay to lose control of your emotions and your actions. And I don't want to raise kids like that. So I audit myself very carefully. I haven't always done this perfect guys. I'm not trying to come at you like I'm some idol to be worshiped. But I'm going to tell you what, I've been on a trajectory of doing this better and better and better literally every year of my marriage. Started out a little rough. I was the guy putting holes in walls, guys. And as God has carried me through and given me wisdom, I don't do that anymore. I don't even come close to doing that anymore. I don't even have any desire to do that anymore. Because I've learned ways and methods of coping with anger other than violence. I was raised in violence. So it was the only thing I knew to go to. But once you mature and God gives you some wisdom and he tempers some things in you, you learn that there is another way to do things and another way to conduct yourself. It's all part of masculine nurturing and looking at what's the overview. What am I teaching my child? Number six, being respectful. We live in a society. Nobody's respectful to anybody anymore. You hope, I still hold open doors for people. I still say yes, sir, and yes, ma'am. Not because I'm great, but because it was impressed upon me from a young age. One of the things that my grandmother impressed upon me was always say sir and ma'am, no matter who it is. If it's younger than you, older than you, no matter what. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. It's just what I do. 
And I've even had people say to me, they're like, oh, you must think I'm old for calling me, sir. I'm like, no, it's just the way I was raised, man. It's just the way I was raised. I treat everybody with respect and I expect respect back. And if you don't respect me back, I don't get angry and hit you upside the head. But my cadence and the way that I'm speaking to you is probably going to change. You're probably going to see my shoulders flare out a little bit more. Jason, are you trying to be intimidating? No. It's just I've now given you respect. You have failed to give me respect back. And so now we're going to go to a different trajectory in which we're communicating. And maybe you'll recognize that respect is the best way to handle me. That's just it, guys. Be respectful. Expect to be respected back. And the seventh thing is legacy building. Really ties into the fifth thing of masculine nurturing, but just understanding that you are living out a story that is, the word of God says our lives are like a vapor. They don't last very long. What do you get out of life? If you're lucky, you get what, 90 years? You know, most people get what, 70? You're in the grand scheme of things, you're only here for a short amount of time. So you have to build your life in a way in which you're trying to pass something on through your life. My grandfather's been gone for many years, yet almost every week I look back to my childhood and I think about something that I witnessed, that I saw, that I learned from. Why? Because my grandfather was a legacy maker. He, he taught me through his actions what the legacy was, and now I carry on the legacy. And I carry it in such a manner in which I entrust it to my children to carry it on. It's supposed to be this way. Generation after generation after generation, growing in faithfulness and fear and admonition of God, pursuing God. This is how we change the heritage of the world. Everybody wants to change the world, but they don't want to change themselves. This is how the world was changed. Through generation after generation of inheriting a legacy and building their lives as if they expect a legacy to be built out of their life as well. One of the most valuable things I ever heard, quick little quip, I don't know where it came from. We all live in the shade of a tree we didn't plant. We've all been blessed with something that we didn't earn. We that are in faith, we recognize that we are given grace from God and that grace is is nothing that we've earned because we're good or righteous or awesome or jumped through so many hoops or could throw a 50-yard touchdown. We were given that gift because God loves us. And when we accepted that gift, we became the recipients of the greatest thing that we could ever get. There's no gift that compares to that gift. We didn't earn it. It was given to us freely. Jesus paid the cost. We received it. So because of that, we become now grafted into a family and part of a legacy. The Apostle Paul would say that we are joint heirs with Christ Jesus. We become an heir with Jesus. We are a part of a tremendous legacy that literally the kingdom of hell cannot defeat. Something that defeated the kingdom of hell. Nothing will prevail against the legacy that you are in as a follower of Christ Jesus. 
you're on the winning team. You're not just on the winning team today. You're on the eternal winning team when you are with Jesus. Nothing can stop him. That's the legacy that you receive as a Christian. And so with your life, you have to ask yourself, what legacy am I building? What am I giving? What am I handing out of me? What are they learning from me? What am I moving forward with? Why do I want to be successful in this life? So that you can have opportunities to be able to give to your children so that your children can continue that cycle of faithfulness, righteousness, joy, peace, power in the Holy Spirit. That's really what it's all about, guys. I appreciate you tuning in, and I am looking forward to talking to you next time. Have a great week.